Welcome to episode number 216 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this podcast is for you. My name is Ryan, and with me today are the lead characters of the new Mortal Kombat movie, Scorpion, Sub-Zero, and Sonya Blade, otherwise known as Michael, Noah, and Jill. Get over here. I like it. Yeah. That was pretty Thank good. You. Thank you. Thank yeah. Today, we're going to discuss firewalls, specifically, what the heck are they? Do you need to set one up? Does your distro have a default firewall and our favorite firewall software? We're also going to talk about Google being your new privacy ally, or at least that's what they're marketing anyways. Later in the show, we're going to discuss Zero AD and the Steam Link enhancements for Linux. We also have tips, tricks, and software picks. All of this coming up right now on Destination Linux. So we have a quick reminder about the announcement we did last week. If you weren't here, we actually announced a, a new Lugfest we're going to be doing. It's happening on March 21st, right after the episode of Destination Linux. So it's time. It's going to be you're going to be able to join us and hang out. We're going to talk about all sorts of stuff, whether that's uh, open source Linux or just anything geek related. We'll have it linked on the DLN forum. So be sure to join the forum. Uh, we're not going to give you the, the room link yet because we want to make sure that it doesn't get you know picked up by the spammers and all that stuff. But but uh, join the DLN forum to get access to it. Join us at 1 p.m. Eastern for DL, uh, also 1800 UTC, if you if that helps. And then right after that, DLN Lugfest. Yay. Awesome. All right. In the community feedback this week, we have a really interesting question about touch laptops. So uh, grad student Steve, that's how it was signed, uh, says, Hi, DLN. For the first time writing in, I'm a grad student in inst instructor, student and teacher who has recently been having hardware trouble with my current laptop. The fact that I was never able to get quite used to Wacom tablets for input and I have been heavily relying on touchscreen aspects of this laptop with my Bluetooth pen, I have been in the market for good touchscreen laptops. However, as a proud Linux user, I would really prefer to support all these companies like System76 out there instead of buying a Windows laptop to get touch and have touch support. I'm also kind of staying away from the tablet route as I would still I would still need to use it for research and having a full capabilities of a laptop as a computer, not just a tablet. As someone who has been only in Linux world for about a year, I do not have a lot of experience looking for this sort of thing specifically. What are the state of touchscreen laptops for Linux focused computer vendors and what are some recommendations? You know, I looked into this, which is why I ended up posting Steve's question up on our DLN forum because I wasn't aware of anything by Tux Computers or System76 that had the touchscreen. I'm not saying they don't exist. I wasn't aware of any, couldn't find any. So you're kind of looking at the other big manufacturers out there that have Linux by default. And it seemed like the most options out there were in the Dell lineup in this case. And then, which is what Altnick recommended. However, I, I know that wanting to support these companies and, and have it come with Linux is a good thing. And and all of these companies hopefully start having lineups of Linux-based laptops. But two laptops that I will be doing some videos on that I've been very impressed with and also follow up with some of the news I'm going to be covering on the Ask Noah show as well as a video that I've done recently on kind of the supply chain for these companies had me looking heavily into HP and the Dragonfly Elite and the Spectre X360 are both touchscreen options that I have installed Fedora on and works fantastic. So those are two options as well. But do not come with Linux by default. I would also add that uh, you, I, I understand the reason for looking 
looking into Linux by default, but um, there are a number of different hardware platforms now that, I mean, you walk into Best Buy and, and pick up a computer and the chances of that computer not working, uh, walking out of the store with Linux are actually fairly slim. And so yeah. there's, mm-hmm. and I, I, it's not that I won't say it never happens that I don't install Linux on something and the touchscreen doesn't work. It doesn't happen very often. That's true across Dell, HP, <clears throat> Acer is pretty good most of the time, uh, and and usually you can get it for a fraction of the price. There's some of the more well-established brands. You just have to treat them a little gentler. Um, but I've, I've had pretty good luck all the way around the board, actually. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I've had the same experience as you had, Noah. Sometimes I just go into the store and I just look at a new laptop. I just want it, and, I'll, and I take it home. And nine times out of 10, probably more than that, 9.9 times out of 10, I've taken them home. I've been able to get Linux running on them. I I did learn recently that Intel Optane does not work with Linux. So if you get a laptop that has Intel Optane enabled by default, uh, it doesn't mean you can't use Linux on it. You just have to turn off the Optane in the BIOS and then you're good to go. But there's seems to be everyone in the community has hacked everything to make sure that Linux can work for the most part. Mm -hmm. There are a few exceptions, but it's getting rarer and rarer. Yeah. yeah, I also like the Asus laptops as well uh, for running Linux, especially their high-end Republic of Gamers. One, one, one of theirs in the lineup has a touchscreen as well. And uh, the Lenovo Yogas are really great choices because Lenovo is excellent at supporting Linux. <laughs> so yep. we love our ThinkPads. So the Yogas are really good choice. That's, that's one of the touchscreen ones I've had experience with. Absolutely. And touchscreen support in Linux has gotten so much better. It's almost out of the box works, even when you're flipping it up and these two-in-ones go into tablet mode, uh, especially with Fedora. I've been able to just use the tablet functionality, like the both the Spectre and the Elite both fold into tablet mode and works out of the box, which is pretty cool. We love hearing from our worldwide community. What we want you to do is get your official DLN mug Fill it with some coffee, coffee, or in my case, bubbly. <laughs> Sit down on the nearest stool and send us an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new app platform service, which makes a solution for building modern cloud native apps. So essentially, it gets they, what they're doing is they're obfuscating all of the heavy lifting and all of the dirty work that you know how to do, you should know how to do, you should learn it once, you should play with it, and then you should never have to touch it again and let somebody else or something else manage it and automate that for you. That's what DigitalOcean does. And so they give you control of the data, they give you control of your infrastructure and they allow you to experiment and learn on their platform. So it's interesting. You have this idea, I want to build something and you might take a tutorial or learn how to do something on a YouTube video and say, hey, I want to try that. How do, how do I get started with that? Well, you're going to need a Linux server. DigitalOcean has Linux servers available. And then on top of that, they allow you to rent as many of them as you want, spin them up by the hour or by the month. You can rent super beefy servers or you can get started with tiny little droplets that are as low as five bucks a month. Now, as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you get started for free. It's actually better than free because we're going to give you money to try their product. Actually, they give you money. They give us money and then we give you money. They give they give everyone money. DigitalOcean gives stuff away. DigitalOcean is giving $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. That, that link again is do.co slash DLN to get started with your free $100 credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. And a huge thanks for DigitalOcean for sponsoring this week in Destination Linux. All right. So let's get into our main topic this week, which is going to be about firewalls. 
Now, my first exposure to a firewall as a kid was a spell in a game, Ultima Online. Do I have any Ultima Online people on here? I, I know what listeners at least know what Ultima Online is. Did, no. Jill, come on. <laughs> Jill. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Thank, thank you. <laughs> thank you. So the firewall was meant to basically keep your enemies away, created a wall of fire, and they could not mm-hmm. pass through. Later, of course, I came across this in the technology world once I grew up and started getting more into computers. And since then... We have seen that the firewalls have taken off as a kind of a first step of our security on our systems. You know, it's actually interesting you mentioned that you first heard of the firewall. It made me like think about when I first heard it. And my first exposure of the term was the computing term. And then I realized later that the firewall term comes from like construction where they actually create a wall to protect from fire. So I was <laughs> I was always wondered where the name came from for firewalls. I thought it came from Ultima Online. You <laughs> think it comes from construction, but pretty sure we're talking from about like neither literal of those. walls of fire for fire, I guess. Not of <laughs> fire. Yours is of fire. You know. Anyway. Yeah. Well, just like the video game, anyways, type of firewall we're talking about is used to keep your enemies out. It's really your first line of defense in blocking malicious network packets. Packets out there from people getting into your machine and hacking it allows you to stop incoming connections like SSH, block ranges of IP addresses and ports. It can either be hardware or software-based, cloud-based, or on-premise. Today, we're mostly going to focus on softwares that's most accessible to everybody listening here for you to go and install and set up. Uh, And a lot of distros, which this was new to me, not a lot, but there are some distros out there that actually, despite Linux having built-in framework for this, do not have this enabled by default, which I also think is an interesting thing because you may be installing a distro and just assume that it has its firewall enabled and you're safe and ready to go. But that's in fact not the case. So I think we should start first with what firewall technology do you actually use? Maybe we'll start with Jill. What kind of firewall do you have set up, Jill? Well, I always seem to default to GUFW, uh, which is a graphical user interface front end for the command line UFW or the uncomplicated firewall, which is actually pre-installed by default on Ubuntu. It works really well. And on launch, it has a short getting started tutorial with pictures that will get you started in just a few clicks. So it's really easy for the advanced and the new users. And it has default profiles for home, office, and public. And you can also create your own profiles and import and export them, which is really cool. And one of my favorite things is you can set up rules per applications to allow, deny, reject, or limit data for incoming, outgoing, or outgoing data or both, which is really, really convenient and it's easy to use. Although, Ryan, I do like like your choice, I think, even better. (laughs) Yeah. Just real quick, I was actually just want to say the uncomplicated firewall is a really funny name because it's a front end to IP tables, which is the most complicated version of firewalls you can Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, I just use uh, Firewall D and then the Firewall Configuration tool, which you can get if you're utilizing Fedora right from the store there. It's very easy to select your connections. On the left, you can choose zones. So depending on if you're at home or you want a different zone for work and want different rules, depending on where you're connected. So it'll show your list of connections. You can choose one you know, for your home, and then you can set up specific rules within your firewall there. I think for... People who are not system administrators, but want to have a firewall up and running fairly easily, 
uh, firewall config is a really simple GUI that I think with mm-hmm. just a little bit of exploration, reading maybe a, a couple online articles, if you're not familiar with firewalls at all, you can get set up really easily and be ready to go. Yeah, it's a very it's a very simple to use in terms of like how firewalls work. And so it's it's not like it's, you know, you st- it's not like you're instantly going to know how to use it. You will need to kind of play with it to learn what the different zones are and that sort of stuff. Uh, but it is very powerful, too. And I, I was playing with the firewall configuration because I typically just, you know, I'm OK with most of the defaults, but sometimes I want to dig in a little bit. And the firewall configuration application is very simple to use in terms of like mm-hmm. once you know what you want to do in that case. And it is also very powerful. Like you can do, like you can go into super deep levels if you want to. Uh, so yeah. there's, if, depending on which distribution you're using, you may or may not have support for uh, different things. Like, uh, for example, just to be real quick, like OpenSUSE and Fedora have default, they have uh, open, uh, Firewall D with Firewall Config. Though if you're using something based on Debian, you may or may not have a built-in firewall. For example, uh, Debian does not come with a firewall enabled by default. It does have IP tables configured, but it's not uh, set up to be having a firewall functionality. It has like all connections set up as a default. Whereas Ubuntu... All connections open, what you're saying. Right, all connections Mm -hmm. open or allow all connections. And uh, where Ubuntu is based on Debian, it does have its own setup with uh, UFW. And I think, I don't know if G, GWF, GUF, GUFW, it's a GUFTWUB. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that one. <laughs> Rolls uh, off the tongue. Right. I'm not sure if that one's by default, but UFW itself is by default. So if you have Ubuntu or something based on Ubuntu, you probably have a firewall by default. But if you have something directly on Debian, you want to make sure that you have that there, uh, provided that you care about mm-hmm. having a firewall. So Noah, what? Firewalls do you use? I know you've probably got a whole mixture of different variations, but curious what your thoughts are here. Yeah. So my obviously my home becomes a testing ground for what we do at work, right? Like that's it's kind of the that's kind of the the downside to living with as the shoemaker's kids living in the with the shoemaker, right? Um, and that comes with both the good and the bad. So I I at home I run OpenSense in production. We deploy PFSense. And the reason for that is I like the general direction that OpenSense is going more than I like the general direction that PFSense, the company, NetGate, the company behind PFSense, their their customer support fantastic, the product phenomenal, uh, the user interface excellent, all of the things are there. But there's a there's been a continual push for them to 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 really exert control over that platform. And to a certain degree, when you run a security appliance, you have to do that. So I understand that, but it just seems to be a very different uh, security approach than than a company like Bitwarden is taking with their security product, right? I can take Bitwarden and just run it myself and Bitwarden's happy to help me with that. Elements is another great example. They're just happy to help me run my infrastructure the way I want to. And I don't always get that messaging from NetGate, but I definitely get that messaging from the OpenSense community. And so I've I've had an opportunity to play with both of those. I think what's important to note or what's important to pay attention to is that PFSense and OpenSense and OpenWRT, whatever the actual platform is, isn't really the important part. The, the 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 critical part is that you have a general process in which by all of these different firewall utilities have kind of come up and they're all based on very similar a lot of them are based on very similar technologies underneath the hood they just different people in different groups exemplify and layer different UIs and 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 come up with different ways to do things to the point that we were setting up 
an Asus router for a customer. And so they had purchased it and they wanted it in their home and said, you know, I'm going to use that to connect back to the office and so on and so forth. And so usually we install the OpenVPN client on the client's, you know, computer and have them VPN back into the office. But this little Asus firewall that the person just bought out of Best Buy, we log into the web UI and there is the same little PFSense-like OpenVPN setup utility uh, built right into this Asus router. And so we're looking at it and going, man alive, that could just never happen in a corporate environment. Like when I got started with firewalls, it was with Cisco gear inside of high school. And like they handed you this mm -hmm. thing and you plugged in this console port. And at that time it was serial. And you plug in this console port and you get into it and you'd be able to get in the router. And th then you would change like the message of the day and, and screw with your friends. And it was really fun. Then you'd go home and be like, man, I really want to do that. I'll go on eBay and buy myself one for $24,769. And the bid's still climbing. It doesn't end for six days. Well, there right. goes that dream. <laughs> you know? and, and today, and today, PSNs, which is like, right. That's, that, that's like the, that's like the, the end. And, and, and these guys are, are like, they deliver a solution that would cost 20 or $30,000 and you can buy it from them for a fraction of that price. And then beneath that, they give the, at the end of the day, the software is open is, is, is open. You can go download it. You can go put it on whatever it is you want. You can play with that platform. You can learn PFSense. You can learn OpenSense. You can decide which one works better for you, which one you like better. And then you've got other companies that start to build automation on top of that. So what if we wanted to manage multiple PFSense boxes? Now we can manage multiple firewalls all at one time. Or maybe you have a grandma and you need to be able to keep an eye on, make sure grandma's doing her firewall updates, but she doesn't want to deal with it. You just want to drop off a little box and have that work. And we had an opportunity to work with a, a physician's clinic that said, hey, we need to be able to have like very secure uh, remote medical imaging down in this other facility, but there's one problem. We said, what's that? They said, well, there's no internet in this building. We're like, well, that's going to be a problem. Well, how are we going to get a connection back to your office without internet? And so we were able to engineer a solution based off of a little mobile hotspot, a tiny little PFSense router that was about the size of two packs of playing cards and uh, literally rubber banded the two together and attached them to the back of a, of a dedicated PC tower. And you know, for a frac, I mean, just, I mean, for literally a fraction, under a thousand bucks, uh, we were able to throw together this solution that just 15 years ago just wasn't even a thought. And thanks to LTE and, and cell phone towers and then open source software and hardware solutions and all of the stuff that you can just buy and plug together. That's an that interesting shows, viewpoint. Well, yeah, I hadn't thought well, of that this it, would have it, cost tens of thousands of dollars in the past. Yeah. And it'll, and, and so what you think about when you think about a firewall, we start with just, well, do we block? packets and 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 make those kinds of decisions. Well, sure. But then when we start to get into wanting to do more and more like, hey, I do want to be able to securely communicate with, you know, mom or grandma or, you know, the rest of my family. I want to give them access to our NAS so they can see pictures of our kids and those sorts of things. All of that stuff starts to become possible when everybody uses shared technology. Shared technology becomes possible when it's all open source. And now that's making its way into stores. So yeah, yeah to, that's a really long way to say PFSense, OpenSense are the two I primarily work with. I just think that's a great place to start. And then you change as your needs change. Or so what, are, what are your thoughts about these distros? And this is not to drag any distro through the mud or anything, but that don't have this technology built in or enabled by default. Is this a negative for no. Linux or it doesn't matter? No, it doesn't. Because here's why. At the point that you're putting some, anytime you plug something into the public internet and give it a public IP address, you better know what you're doing full stop. And we don't, there's, you, you can't make any excuses from there. If you're going to plug something in on the internet and give it a public IP address, you're plugging it into the wide open internet, you better know what you're doing. And if you don't, then don't do that. Well, I mean, that's uh, not and, necessarily and, fair because like we're talking about like that is the, completely fair. No, beginner distros. Like are you, so you're expecting everyone to be fully aware of how networking works when they start using Linux? 
No, but you don't you don't start learning how networking works and using Linux on the public internet. Go do that in your house behind your PFSense. And then it doesn't matter. And then and then the fact that Debian doesn't have a, a firewall turned on. By but we're not talking matter. about the public internet. We're talking about just someone on, at, at their home the only, setting up a Linux no, distribution. But, okay, so hold on. Let's not stop. having it. Okay, so let's stop. So we start here at the internet, right? So if we have a firewall in place, what we do on the other side of the firewall is somewhat irrelevant. So the reason that De the reason it would matter if Debian's firewall isn't on by default is, for example, if I go to DigitalOcean and spin up a DigitalOcean droplet and plug a public internet connection right into my Debian droplet, now it matters a lot yes, that Debian sure. doesn't have a firewall on device. So, but my point is, a beginner has no purpose in doing that. You're, you should never plug something into the internet without understanding what the ramifications are with that. Um, you can go ahead and learn, and you'll learn the ramifications, and hopefully it, it doesn't hurt you too bad. But like, but but that's what you should understand. That's the world that we play in. And so when we start talking about firewalls, and is it a good decision or a bad decision on the distro? Well, it's probably a good decision to start as as secure as we can, and then uh, and then and then make things as poke holes in things as we need to. But the other side of that is when you're just trying to get something to work and you're working with it in a lab environment, oftentimes it's easier to start with everything wide open and then button things up as you need. And that's certainly the way I prefer to work. You know, the first experience I had with this, not the first experience, but one of the ways that I got well developed in firewalls was really using Raspberry Pis. Mm. And mm. the Raspberry Pi, when you're setting it up as servers and things like that, you're opening up different ports and shutting down different ports to secure it. And that really gave me a lot of knowledge in, in this area. I, I still think that, to Michael's point, although I see what you're saying, Noah, that it would be better to start off with these distros being secure. Debian is a, definitely a distro a lot of people start with in Linux, and there's no, no harm in actually having that pre-set up. It's kind of like having defaults in Mac OS, having defaults in Windows that you expect. You can't expect everybody's going to have a, you know, a PFSense box set up in their home before they play with Linux or anything else. I just feel like from a default standpoint, they should just have those things set up. And then when they're learning and they want to open those ports and they can't get it to work, that's when they start learning about firewalls so that they're not opening themselves up. Because I think a lot of people, including myself, are knowledge gained into the tech world is by playing, is by going in there and setting up servers when we probably shouldn't have, when we probably should have read more, but we just go in there and we do it and we set it up. And, you know, firewall is kind of a, I don't know, it's elementary security, right? It's the first step. Mm -hmm. It should be something set up, in my opinion, everywhere. But I also can argue the other side to say, you know, Debian is very um, basic out of the box and it expects you to do a lot of setting up from the very beginning, but I don't know that that's clear to new users out there. Maybe it doesn't need to be, but I just thought I mean, it was interesting. But, but I mean, like, so it, think about it from a new year's perspective. So a new user sets installs Debian and they sit down and they say, I want to SSH into my box. Should we allow that or not allow that by default? Because if we take the security minded approach, then it's tempting to say, well, let's lock that down and then have the user open that up if they want to run that service. But the pro the, but kind of the mentality is let's start by letting them SSH into their box so they can begin to play and experiment to the playground. And then when when they need to close a hatch, then they can go, then they can go turn it, button it down. I guess, I, and I'm not sure, maybe there's a miscommunication, but by default, 99% of people sit behind a firewall, even if they don't know it. If you don't do anything else, your cable modem provider likely has a That's firewall true. built into your cable modem. So yeah. the, the, like we'll say 90% of people that are starting to play with this stuff are probably doing it behind a firewall to begin with, even if they don't mm -hmm. know it. And so I think an additional mm -hmm. firewall and forcing people to go through that configuration maybe present more of a challenge than it would help. 
But I don't know. I don't know really what the security trade-off is, I guess. Right? But in the case uh, of like, it's you interesting go for point. expecting security and privacy. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I think that, that you're you're right about the whole, like, I mean, there's like a NAT for every router when you set up your system. Like, right. You, you have that Firewall, r- yeah. already for you. Yeah. And so in the terms of like with a, a DigitalOcean droplet, you're gonna, it, it does matter much more there, whereas the regular user, maybe not. Uh, but w- w- what do you think about like, if someone were to have that, that router aspect and a dish, they install a distro like Ubuntu or Fedora that have a firewall by default, wouldn't there be an, an extra benefit by the defaults that those offer? Uh, or yeah, do you think it's f- not necessary? No, I agree. No, I agree. There is absolutely a benefit. And, 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 and so, and here's the other, got so excited. <laughs> yes, I agree. There is a benefit. In fact, to take that, to, to kind of take that point a little bit further, if we consider the fact that ultimately IPv6 is designed to eliminate NAT, right? Like there's mm-hmm. the idea is to give everything an IP address so that you don't have to deal with NAT. And so while NAT was not really designed as a, as a function of security, it was really designed more of a function of, hey, we need one to many. We're going to lose the kind of inherent security that comes with the fact that unless we explicitly tell our router where to send traffic to the other side, like because it's all behind uh, NAT, there's a certain amount of security, but that's going to go away with IPv6. And so then every device is going to be responsible for itself being able to talk on the internet. And we already see that to a degree with things like our phones, right? If you don't, you probably don't think about putting a firewall on your phone, but guess what? Your phone is not really directly connected to the public internet, but uh, Ryan, you're from the NSA. It connects to a pro- somebody else's network that then is connected to the public right. internet, right? So at the end of the day, it's leaving your control, and you don't think about security on that device. And so, if we when we when we start building um, Pino, you know, PinoS operating systems, and when we as we start building, we start thinking about laptops that maybe have LTE. Probably that is the direction we want to go, where every device has a firewall and it's on by default. See, we mm-hmm. should all be like more my, like Michael. Yeah. And, you know, one of the the tips that, that I tell uh, new people, you know, setting up a network in their house is just to get an, a managed Ethernet switch. And I've often shown people, you know, how to configure them. And that's really having that. It, it's an extra, you know, step of uh, having um, a firewall and a hardware one at that. So it's always a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> always good. And, and, you know, a lot of the the mobile operating systems close ports by default as well, which is, you know, very similar to how the firewalls would be expected to work in most distros. So I, my thought is that every distro out there should at least come with, you know, IP blocking ranges and some of the incoming connections locked down and let people open it up from there. But I see both sides of it and I know you can argue both, but I think the point is that setting up a firewall is -hmm. super easy. Yeah. Uh, I think you can go into barely a, it's barely an inconvenience. It's as simple as installing an app and doing some basic configurations. And then there's this whole journey left outside of that, where you can take it to a whole new lo- level. <laughs> if you're at entry here with the PFSense boxes and things like that, that not only are more secure, but also make you look cooler when you show your friends, all of your computer hardware yeah. set up and everything else. So sure. I, firewalls were really interesting getting into the subject and kind of reading about it. And I learned a lot. Like I figured every distro had one by default and that was interesting to learn that they don't. So make sure you check to see if you have a firewall enabled. And if you don't go set one up, if nothing else, just to learn something new. 
Yeah. And the, and if you don't have one by default, the defaults of whatever you probably installed is you know, probably okay to go. Uh, but it is interesting to definitely to find out. And, uh, you know, the, there's also the difference between IP tables and NF tables that they're going to be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, NF tables is kind of replacing IP tables. But I also would think maybe it's possible that we could have NF stools instead of tables. Just thought, <laughs> no. 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 We, we okay. took it to the board and they rejected They said no? That. Okay. I, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. You can get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Now, this is really interesting. I had somebody come over my house and they were wanting me to look at their Windows machine. And I said, well, I'm going to need you to log in, but they needed to go do something. So they wrote their password down to get into their machine. And they made this comment. They said, hey, don't let this slip of paper get away from you because this is the same password I use for all of my accounts. And I was Mm. like, oh, we've got a problem. You got to stop right there. We're going (laughs) to install Bitwarden. Um, But a lot of people get stuck with this. They create a complex password. I'll give them credit. It was a complex password, but they're using it for every single account, which means if you get hacked, go look (laughs) at SolarWinds. By the way, Show did a fantastic podcast on that. If you get hacked and that one password gets taken, everything is going to be compromised. So that's why we recommend and we're thankful to have a sponsor like Bitwarden. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. They have a $10 premium account. You can create a different password for every single account you have. You can set up things with the $10 like YubiKey authentication in there. Uh, You have just the ability for encrypted storage, file storage, you have two-step login with U2F or Duo, Vault Health Reports, the Bitwarden Authenticator course, and Priority Customer Support you get for $10 a year. $10 a year. year. That per year thing is very important piece. <laughs> Not get <Yeah>. hacked. <laughs> save thousands of dollars and tons of hours and time protecting yourself for $10 a year. I think it's well worth it. And I know a lot of LastPass people with the recent changes that happened in LastPass are switching over to Bitwarden right now. So it's just the perfect time to go check out bitwarden.com slash DLN. And we thank them for sponsoring Destination Linux and this episode. Okay, so Google just made a huge announcement. Said their stocking days are over, at least when it comes to luring you in (laughs) with browser cookies. So that's right. Google made the big announcement this week saying it will stop tracking individuals around the the web. And well they done, stayed. Google. You're finally not doing something you shouldn't have been doing in the first place. <laughs> finally Great. not stalking yes. us. <laughs> Taking some hints from Firefox, are we? <laughs> Maybe. <Yeah. Yeah. laughs> cookie gel. <laughs> we need cookie gel. <laughs> so uh, uh, Google stated, today we're making explicit that once third-party cookies are phased out, we will not build alternate identifiers to track individuals as they browse across the web nor will we use them in our products. Google director David Temkin wrote in the blog post. <laughs> and if you'd like to read it, it's in our show notes. <laughs> why, do they spend, why do they spend so much time emphasizing individuals? Why, why is it that, we, that, that, the, that it seems to be the more they can obscure the source point and where they're taking your data from and how they're using it, why does that excuse it in our minds? Or maybe it does. I mean, I don't I think, think it does, but I mean, they're they're more like saying that they're not going to be tracking individuals as much, but it also, it's not really, f- like they're kind of trying to make it use keywords that 
like imply that they're doing more than they are. Like for example, when they say that they're not going to be tracking individuals across the webs, it doesn't mean they're not going to be tracking individuals just across the web. Because like if you're on YouTube and, Go and like in Google searching, they still right. can do that, and they're not. They're and you still have an account, about right? Cross, right? And even yeah. It, yeah. What this does, well, a lot of critics are stating that what this does is further kind of create a walled garden, if you've heard that term before, mm -hmm. around Google so that they kind of own this information and decide to the other companies how they disseminate it out. I, I kind of was going back and forth on this one because I feel like on, on some aspects, I my first thing that comes to mind is they're reacting to Apple's success with their marketing on privacy, right? Uh, whether you believe it or not, Apple, it doesn't matter. Apple has made a huge marketing push towards being the more private operating system and phone. And that has played a huge advantage to them. Facebook and other companies are suffering from their reputations now. And they're trying to figure out how to present these companies are trying to reinvent themselves, let me say, as privacy focused companies. So as Michael said, they start using keywords and terms and things that the general public understands and say, hey, look what we're doing. We're phasing cookies out. We're not going to let anybody use them. So I don't want to keep moving the line where we say, hey, this is a good thing. But at the same time, I don't really trust that this is going to be what they're stating. It is a, a more fundamentally private internet because Google's now not going to utilize cookies going forward, but they're still going to be able to have all of that information on you themselves in their massive servers and then just decide who gets to see that. So as a company, if you want to market with Google, you come in and say, hey, I want all of your customers that seem to be PC builders or seem to be interested in firewalls. And I want to sell them this solution instead of Google apparently giving information saying, well, it's Noah, Michael, and Jill that put <laughs> that information. They're going to say, here's a big pack of anonymous users that fit that criteria that you can market to. So yeah. in some ways, yeah, that does seem better. It's more sandbox. But at the same time, Google is suffering from what Google has been suffering from from the very start. Nobody at this point that's in the privacy world and has done their research trusts that this company is doing anything for the good of people's privacy on the internet. So no matter what they say, everybody, which is what happened, is going to come out and call shenanigans on it or have theories of how they're really going to do it in the back end, which may make privacy even worse. And this is Google's mm -hmm. biggest issue that they're going yeah. to have to overcome in the next few years is trying to turn the reputation around. And I'm not sure. I, I, is it possible that the business model isn't sustainable in like, is it possible that if people really knew how Google made their, it, their money, they wouldn't be willing to pay the price? I think it's starting to get there. I think we have more and more people in the general public that I come across every single day that are starting to care about their privacy. It's something that really makes me happy to see. For instance, there was this big excitement in the general tech community for Facebook's new virtual reality set. But I started seeing people commenting in the general public about, I'm not going to use this because it requires you to have a Facebook account and I don't trust Facebook. And that's why. And then when I go to the stores and Best Buy, half the electronics are wiped out because we've been in the pandemic and things, the shelves are empty, but you know what has a full shelf of Facebook's virtual reality glasses. Because I think people are starting to wake up the general public to the idea that, yeah. oh, this thing, this idea that these dumb people put out there and whoever they are, wish we could find them that are like, well, I don't do anything bad. So I have nothing to hide that stupid <laughs> saying that I wish would just burn in a fire that that's finally <laughs> starting to people realizing that that's actually not true. That's not the case. And that these things have far 
Well, they, part they of reach is, far further than we thought. Here's here's the thing: because we know that we can look into people's digital lives, and because we do look into people's digital lives, and because people aren't perfect and do stupid things, uh, like that that has become more of a threat, has it not? I mean, like ten years ago, the um, like the the things that like you could post online or, or that you could get away that wouldn't have been a big deal. Like today, are bigger deals. Like we make a bigger deal out of it, and we intentionally go looking for it. So I think the threat model has gone up, and then I think at the same time the monetary value of stuff has gone up, and those two things have started to impede on people's lives. So now they're looking at it and saying, "Can I make a different decision?" And the good news is they can. They can listen mm -hmm. to Destination Linux and we'll tell them how. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's great um, examples out there for those who are still in that idea of I don't do anything wrong as it doesn't matter of credit card companies now utilizing the information they're buying from this to determine the credit limits that they're giving you, whether they're going to give you credit or not based on your social media, because they can say, look at this person, their, their friends are buying a bunch of cars, their friends are buying a bunch of this stuff. This person's now at risk of doing the same thing, or they're constantly going out shopping, or the receipts that these companies who always want your phone number and a special card that you swipe to know what you're buying. And all this information is now coming together to be used in industries uh, that are having real implications on people that aren't doing anything wrong. You're just living your life. But now that information is being used to affect your life uh, things like getting jobs and credit and potentially medical in the future as well. So it, it is a big deal. And I'm yeah. so on one side, I'm happy. I want Google to focus on privacy, even if that means some of it is smoke and mirrors at first. I like that they're starting to realize that their reputation is now on the line and they're going to have to start making some different moves. I don't know that this makes me go, oh, I'm thrilled and going to keep using all the Google products now. But I, I guess on one side, I do want to say it's a step and maybe the right direction. I don't know. I, don't yeah, I mean, know. Yeah. in terms of what Google's <laughs> been doing in the past, you know, it is an improvement at least. Exactly. <laughs> in theory, it's an improvement until we could actually look at the code and the source and see what else they're gathering behind the scenes. It's hard to say for sure, but it's a start. Yeah. It kind of reminds maybe. me of the time where, when uh, Google announced, we're no longer going to be tracking and reading what you say in Gmail. Like, oh, thanks. 15 yeah. years later, <laughs> you're no longer going to be doing that. Okay. But how much of the public was shocked by that? What was funny when they came out yeah. with that statement is how many people were like coming to me going, did you know Gmail's reading your emails? I'm like, you didn't know that? <laughs> no, that, yeah. <laughs> you kidding me? Um, That's so, how they yeah. basically do all the stuff that they claim to do with the filtering and stuff. How else would they know? <laughs> you know, Google's, I, I think a lot of these businesses, I'm hoping what Noah said is right, are going to have to shift their model to selling products. Like for instance, YouTube, I, I actually love YouTube. I think YouTube is amazing. I, I love mm -hmm. getting lost in YouTube. I love the amount yeah. of content. I love the videos. I love, it works. It's such a great platform. I just want the Google stuff out of it. Just put random ads. Like when you watch TV, it's not tailored towards you, right? It's just a car commercial that everybody has to watch. They, they make money. I have to watch a stupid ad, which I'm okay with. And then I get to see the cool video afterwards. Like just leave me alone while I'm doing it yeah. and yeah. leave my information alone. And, and we would be great. Yeah, I, I think that, the, and also to be clear, when he says he likes YouTube, he's talking about the platform of what it offers, not necessarily the company and what they do. <laughs> exactly. That, that's exactly what I mean. yeah. He said he likes the fact that it works. He wishes yeah. Google wasn't the one that ran it. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. I feel this is a positive too, but I had something that was kind of doom and gloom, like my initial thought <laughs> when I re read these articles. You, Jill? Yes. I <laughs> what? actually was a little creeped out. <laughs> I, We're I, rubbing off know. on Jill, guys. We got. <laughs> she's got to stop hanging out with us. 
well, to me, it was like our Google ad overlords will actually be growing in strength instead of tracking individuals at random. They will be tracking people with AI in a more organized way. Uh-oh, here comes Cyberdyne Systems and Project Skynet. Oh, no. <laughs> I, was, I even had a dream. It was like that. Wow. Your what? trust in them is so big that you instantly uh, took the announcement <laughs> and compared it Aww. to Cyberdyne and then had a nightmare about Cyberdyne taking over. Wow. Yeah. 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 I love a lot of Google services dearly, but yeah, it's the, the tracking. And at least, yes, they are recognizing that, that the community is upset about this. They about could this. become the company we want them to be. They yes, really could. Exactly. This goes from their phone devices, Android, which in my opinion is a complete disaster today, could be the best operating system and privacy focused operating system out there. They, mm -hmm. they could have, they have some amazing services that mm -hmm. could be some of the best services out there. They just really have to go back and reprint on their walls. Don't be evil. Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. Say, just, if only they had a slogan about not being evil. If only. Yeah, they really need to go back to that time and refocus their products so that people can trust them again. Yeah. Now, from a company that we we hope that they learn their lesson and become, you know, go back to their roots, we we're going to jump to another company that is already ha having massive, awesome effects to uh, Linux and have been doing so for many years, and that is Valve. We're going to talk about Yay. Steam Link because the Steam Link app is now available mm -hmm. on Linux systems. A special thanks to Collabora for helping make that possible. And some people might not really be aware of what the Steam Link is. So, for example, the idea is that it allows you to stream content from one computer to another, or you can actually stream it from a computer to an Android device or to your TV or something like that with like a Raspberry Pi connected. All sorts of cool stuff you can do with it. But why does this matter? Well, it's cool to have this awesome option in general because it's it's just it's really cool to have that as a as a feature but it's more than that the part that makes this even more awesome is that steam's remote play together feature is built in with tech uh this the tech for streamlink so remote play together if you're not aware allows you to host a game on mm -hmm. your local computer and it invites others you can invite others to join you and they don't even need to have to own the game in order to play it it's a way to turn like a, a local co-op game into a multiplayer game. So it allows you to do over the internet. They can connect to your system and play the game through your computer, which is a really cool concept. And this is awesome because not only do you get that extra benefit of having the online multiplayer on games that normally don't, Remote Play Together uses the, the Steam Link uh, structure and having those combined makes it even more exciting because they have this new invite anyone aspect of the Steam's remote play together. And this Steam Link app makes it possible. So basically what it's doing is that you go to get the flat, the flat pack from Flathub, you install the Flatpak uh, Steam Link app, and then now you can actually join a Steam game without even having Steam installed. That, that is, is what fire. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? That, that is what the invite anyone offers you to do. So having this combination, that's the Steam Link app on Linux. Cool already. Combine those twos and you get awesomeness. Yay. Lord Gaben loves Linux. <laughs> yes. Lord Gaben. I love it. You know, this is so much more important than we realize. In, in, in COVID, gaming has surged over 20%, making it a $180 billion industry, which is bigger than movies and music, which we've discussed before. 
having a operating system that can play these games, especially in lockdown and take advantage, have companies be able to take advantage of this massive surge in gaming, which was already massive to begin with, is huge. And really one of the only companies that are making huge waves for us in Linux uh, with gaming is this work with Valve and Code Weavers and companies like Collabra and stuff going out there and making these things possible. And I love exactly. that they chose Flatpak, right? Uh -huh. A simple universal yeah. app to install this. There's no know having to go into the terminal and pre-compile it yourself and do all this stuff to get it to work it's just a flat pack boom you're ready to go it's brilliant it's awesome and i love valve i love valve yeah absolutely all valve is doing so much yeah all linux users should love valve whether you play games or not because yeah. they are progressing our operating system <laughs> the, the stuff they're doing that makes this kind of stuff possible is also like kind of fundamentally en enhancing stuff. For example, we've had a lot of improvements to the graphics drivers because gaming has become yes. more and more important and they put a lot of effort into that. And also there's other companies who have incentive to make gaming better, which inherently also makes the core system better. So, you know, whether mm -hmm. you care about gaming or not, you should, all, you should still care that gaming is an important piece to computing and therefore it should be an important piece to Linux. And speaking of games, would you like to be the leader of an ancient civilization? Yes. And gather the resources you need to raise a military force and dominate your enemies? Every single day. <laughs> yes. I've tried to recruit an ancient civilization to come destroy Michael with me, but I haven't been successful. So what's my next option, Jill? Okay. So then you, you can play zero ad oh, and it this is a uh it's a real-time strategy game of ancient warfare and is completely free and open source and when you think of the best open source games zero ad we'd be at the top of anyone's list i agree and it was developed by wildfire games which is uh, they're awesome and it is an inter international group of volunteer game developers creating creating this amazing game and they recently came out with a massive update for zero AD. And I was just playing around with it the other day and it has got, looks so beautiful. Now they improved their textures, their armor, horse, their horses and animation improved flora. They have new maps and a new map browser. And now you can, uh, when you're, you're laying out your landscape, you can use edge snapping with buildings, which is a, a huge improvement. And er just everything under the hood is improved. There are ships. There's rendering improvements, including new options for anti-aliasing. That's huge because it oh, makes yeah. the game look a lot better. There's a new hotkey editor, formation improvements, oh, effect improvements. There's new models, new horses, new helmets, new shields. It's There's so many, <laughs> I can't name them all. So definitely go to their uh, website and download this updated uh, version of the game. This is like <laughs> Age of Empires, but completely mm -hmm. open source. You can yes. go into your distro repository, go get this game and play it. What amazes yes. me the most about this is game design. I've, I've done several videos. My brother has designed a game and these videos of going in and creating textures for a single character can be hours long. The oh, amount yes. of talent it takes <laughs> to do the work here. These are volunteers from all around the world that built this game. This is not some pixelated junk game that you would play on the first Nintendo. This is a gorgeous mm -hmm. AAA level graphic game that is so well designed, so well implemented, 
and it's free for everybody. So if you're not into gaming, we've talked about gaming in the past and you want to get into something that's strategic, like learning a chess battle, you want to be good at war, you want to take on Michael and destroy his weak armies, you need <laughs> zero AD. Why do yes. they have to be weak armies? Maybe they just they maybe just want to be friends. What's what's wrong with that? That's what I love. So what I do in the game is I tell Michael we're going to become trading partners. He gives me a bunch of his stuff. Then my army comes in and destroys him. And then I just <laughs> see that would that. never happen because I know you and I would not believe you. So we would definitely be going to battle immediately. <laughs> <laughs> immediately, you start the game, go to war. Yeah, exactly. Michael, we don't even Michael, have an army yet. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Go to war with him. He's going to attack us. Michael, you can make a lot of wooden stools for your enemies to sit a- on and absolutely. catch them off guard. We, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll even have a picnic when we become friends. Yeah. I was about to win, and then there was this field of stools, and my army got confused and didn't know whether to sit or stand, and they all died. And, and everybody just stayed there for the rest of their time. <laughs> Speaking of optimizing your uh, your ancient civilization, let's talk about optimizing your system, and we have... Optimizer for this software Spotlight. We've talked about Stacer before. Uh, it's a cute based a that's a cute based system for monitoring what's going on in your system. And now Optimizer is a GTK based thing. So basically, what op- what it does is Optimizer helps you find out what's eating up your system resources, deleting unnecessary files from your from your disk, as well as monitoring your system resources. So it has uh, the 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 normal thing you would expect to have being able to monitor CPU, RAM, and disk usage. But it also has an easy cleaner tab to remove crash logs application logs uh you know stuff like that just basically you know cash cleaning your cash yeah, all that, emptying yeah. your trash st- stuff like that it's very cool uh and also it lets you have a simple uh, processes view to monitor what's currently running on your system so if you're wanting to look at something like that check out optimizer we'll have a link in the show notes this week we're continuing our tips and tricks section on using podman now that you know how to create delete inspect pods we're going to share one more final tip in the series the final tip before we release you into the wild and let you manage and play with all of your containers is checkpointing checkpointing is when a container stops while writing the state of all of the processes in the container to the disk now you have to use the container as root for this to work so to checkpoint you would simply issue the command sudo podman container checkpoint and then give the container ID. Now, if you ever need to restore a container from the checkpoint, you would simply use sudo podman container restore and then the container ID. Want to learn more about podman? Then we invite you to go back and listen to all the prior shows where we go through the steps and tricks needed to get started using podman and container technology. So before we close out the show, I want to take you on an adventure or at least get people pumped to go on an adventure, especially if you're in the Georgia, United States area, because I had an opportunity to take a trip to the Computer Museum of America in Roswell, Georgia. And this was just such an amazing experience. Jill, I thought about you the whole time. (laughs) Uh, Specifically, I thought Jill has that, Jill has that, Jill has that, Jill has that. But there were a couple in there, I'm pretty sure you didn't have, um, that I was sending pictures of, but it was amazing. I took my kids there. First of all, everything is very interactive, fun, and safe. So it's all kind of COVID protected with, you know, making sure people are distanced and stuff. So it's something you can do now. Uh, with your family and and stay relatively safe in it if you're worried about those type of things. But they have all kinds of computers there and they have this wall of history, which I was surprised. I figured my kids would run by the wall of history and go straight to one of the computers, but they were actually looking at it. And of course, Linus Torvalds is on the wall of history of computers, which made me really happy. And um, that, that they have everything you could imagine from the beginning of computers 
really starting with the beginning of mathematics all the way into kind of the, the supercomputers that we have today. And thankfully, they had left a couple of the supercomputers. Uh, I don't know if on purpose or not. Some of them were locked. Some of them weren't. Maybe I was pulling on the latches to see which ones were open. Maybe <laughs> I wasn't. And I was able to look inside a couple of the supercomputers. And it, it, it's just fascinating to see these Cray machines up close and personal. Not only that, the amazing heating solutions that they have to mm -hmm. come up with. Like I thought I had some cool water cooling solutions that I've built in my past, <laughs> but this one is so big. Some of these cooling solutions that you would have to have a special cart to move these things around. And so I want one for my PC to see how much I can overclock it. But my point is, <laughs> this is just such an awesome experience going there. So if you're in the Roswell, Georgia area, Computer Museum of America is there. Supercomputers, robotics. They brought out this robotic AI dog that was amazing. The kids were just blown away by it. They have arcades there as well. And they did a punch card demo. They have different events and things. This one was the punch card demo. So they actually had these machines up and running. And my kids were able to utilize these machines from start to finish. Now they barely know what a CD is, let alone a punch card. But it was still <laughs> pretty cool that they got to kind of experience how this stuff worked back in the day. And the individuals that were there that were doing the demonstration had worked for IBM for 50 years and were some of the ones that would work on the boards and things and set these machines up. And so, of course, I started geeking out with them and I got kind of a little bit behind the scenes and he's pulling out the wires and the breadboard and we're looking Aww. how they configure each one of these machines. And it was just, it was such <laughs> a cool experience. So I just really recommend you may have a computer museum in your area. Um, if you're in or near the Georgia area, definitely go check out the Computer Museum of America. It was just super, super cool experience. Yeah, I know what punt cards are, but I've never actually seen them used really. I've never like looked into it oh. and I never got to experience it for <laughs> sure. And that would be really cool. It, that actually, like the robotic dog, that sounds awesome. The supercomputers, sounds awesome. Also <laughs> an arcade, that's very interesting. Uh, but for some reason, I'm really, really interested in the punch card demos and I want to, hopefully they do that often because I do want to see that. Next time you come down, I'm taking you to the Computer <laughs> Museum of America and we're going to tell them to get the punch cards yes. going. We're going to get yes. them rolling. <laughs> Fantastic. And Jill, you have been to computer museums. Well, you start your oh, own. Oh, yes. You technically have your own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we have uh, the Computer History Museum in Silicon Valley and the Tech Museum at San Jose. And then there's another uh, museum in Intel. So there, we have a lot of the big ones here because uh, the birth of computing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know, the funnest part is going around the supercomputers, which there's this mass. I mean, there's 50, 60 different supercomputers there. And you go and it will tell you a little thing on each plaque about the supercomputer. And yes, it's really interesting, the speed. It's amazing the amount of memory. They even have some of the boards taken out to show how they get 76 processors on a single board and stuff. The best part is seeing what operating system they all use. Linux, yep. Linux, Linux, yes. Linux, Linux. <laughs> nice. Exactly. And before that, it was Unix, Unix, Unix. Yeah. And then now the free version of Unix, Linux, Linux, Linux. Exactly. <laughs> So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. If you want more DL, become a patron like all these beautiful people here in our super huge digital stadium that we have where we record the show each and every week. You get unedited versions of the show, VIP access to events, live recordings of Destination Linux every Sunday, and you get your patron-only show after this show, which only patrons get to be a part of. Super cool things happen there. Trust me. 
In addition, every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we're now live at dlnlive.com. The best part, everyone's invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux every week. We can't wait to see you in the chat. And also go to dealinstore.com to pick up some swag. We have t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, and so much more coming up. We even have a lot of new stuff that's coming out this week. So be sure to go to dealinstore.com, bookmark that, and check it every day because there's going to be something coming out. Well, I don't know every day, but very soon. So but you deal need to store. check just in yes. case. You need to just in <laughs> case. Make sure you check it, dealinstore.com. And we have so many amazing shows here on the Destination Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, the Ask Noah Show. This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, DLN Extend, Hardware Addicts, yeah. and get your game on with our latest show, GameSphere. So go to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these shows to keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody have a great week. And remember, the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Yay. Bye-bye. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> Another By the way, goes. somebody decoded in our patron chat my shirt while we were doing you. the show. Yeah. And how yeah. freaking cool is that? <laughs> what, was your, what does your shirt say? It says well, awesome. they don't do binary code. There are two people that, that do binary so this code. This is from the museum itself. Can you guys see it? Can you see oh, it? Oh, I am yeah. awesome. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. So After whoever all, decoded that it was awesome is, in fact, correct. It is awesome. <laughs> <Yes>. Nice. <laughs> I love it. 